Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron-Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Davis Miller, host of the new podcast, The Tao of Muhammad Ali. I met Ali in 1988, and surprisingly, we became friends. His influence profoundly changed my perspective on the purpose of life itself. I'll tell you that story, and also stories of others touched by the champ. Listen to The Tao of Muhammad Ali on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time with the players and coaches who lived in them. Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Or what about the, the after parties? We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The 2021 MLB season is here, and although the seats may not be full, your bankroll has the chance to be. Greg Hoops Peterson has you covered for every game, every day this season, along with comprehensive analysis and angles for getting to the window while celebrating the walk-off winners and blown saves of what will be a wild season. Now it is time for the Baseball Penny Podcast with Greg Peterson. Welcome to Bloody Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a great show for you. It's in the second segment. We are going to be joined by Alex Crow. He does terrific work over there at 620 WTMJ. As many of you guys might know, Milwaukee and Chicago are separated by about an hour or so, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. I have not made the drive recently myself. I haven't been back to Wisconsin in a few years, but... With that said, he does a great job of being able to follow all things out there. He is a fan of the Chicago Cubs, so for that I do apologize at this point. But with that said, he's going to have some interesting thoughts on the Cubs fire sale that we are probably going to be seeing within the next few hours. Going to talk a little bit about the Milwaukee Brewers, talk about some of these playoff races. Going to have a good time there. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday. A little something I like to call touch them all. I'll caution you right now. Just flat out don't have much on the Washington Nationals versus Philadelphia Phillies game because, as we know, on Wednesday, the Nationals versus Phillies game did not wind up happening due to COVID-19. As I record this, we're still trying to figure out who all wound up testing positive, who's going to be playing, what the starting pitchers are going to be. So there is a lot of mystery on that. I tried to give you guys as much as I could, but with that said, it is a little bit tough in these circumstances, but 
What is not difficult is being able to answer your Twitter questions on this podcast. If there's something that you'd like me to address, if you've got questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, you got one or two ways to be able to further listen. First one is my Twitter timeline at Jaren's41. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So always send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you, into there. And we did get in one, so let's dive in. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Checking in today is Jack Millistan. You're able to follow him on Twitter at Jack Millistan. He has at GRSquarty1. Greg, have you ever considered no run first inning bets? I have been doing well lately with betting teams to just not score in the first inning solely and I do not just because with my handicap, the big thing for me, and this is true among all sports, it's true in the MLB, it's true in college basketball, NFL, list goes on and on. I like to take the full game because the smaller the sample size, the more likely you are to get a little bit of a wonky result. Now, there are ways to be able to find some trends in the first setting. Every year, it seems like there are a couple teams that they score runs in the first setting like it's wildfire. There are other teams in which... Well, it's a little bit more barren for them, but this is just not something that I wind up diving into because when you wind up taking such a small sample size of a game like this, because you got nine innings in a baseball game, you're taking pretty much a one-ninth of the game bet in this, which means that you're pretty much betting on what is going to happen the first 11.1% of it if it's not shortened by rain. And if you wind up going next, or it's a little bit less than that, well, if you wind up having the game wrapped up before the bottom of the ninth, then you're going to get a tad bit more, but right around 115 11.1-ish percent of the game, there is a whole lot of volatility that might not be representative of the actual game. How many times have we seen it where you wind up getting like two runs scored in the first inning and that's all you wind up seeing for the entirety of the game. You wind up having a pitcher that comes out a little bit cold. He gives up a couple runs and I just don't want to be in a circumstance where literally one bad pitch could cost me my bet. You wind up having one guy slip and fall. If you wind up betting the yes, you wind up having a guy get a cookie right down the middle. He winds up missing it. That winds up costing you your bet. That's a big reason why I personally do not wind up playing them. I just like to take a little bit of everything into account. Like the big reason why I don't take first five inning bets is that it is a little bit more likely to be influenced by one bad play and everything like that. The first inning bet, it certainly is all about that. So it's just one of those things in which I always like to take the full game sample rather than a smaller one. And that certainly rings true when it comes to first inning bets. That's a big reason why I don't dive into it. And I will say this right now. If you are crushing it in first inning bets, don't let me tell you otherwise. If you are cashing in some sort of a specific market, there are some people that do well in K-props. There are many people that do well in the first five. Heck, I know that first three inning bets are becoming a little bit of something. I know that some people look at runs, hits, errors. If there's something that you're doing well in, keep on making money where you're making money. There is nothing wrong with that. I personally do not do them, though. So hopefully that answers your question. Always appreciate it. Now let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing in Major League Baseball on Wednesday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. It was a good day if you wound up betting the over in the Detroit Tigers and Minnesota Twins game as you wound up seeing 14 combined runs in the fourth inning of this game. And the Detroit Tigers win by a count of 17-14. to 14. Two touchdowns and a field goal. I wonder how many games we're going to have where the Lions score 17 points or fewer in the NFL season. But for the Detroit Tigers, they get 17 runs despite the fact that they didn't get a homer. The team goes 11-18 with men in scoring position. And Willie Peralta winds up giving up six runs in three and a third innings for this team. 
incredible. You wound up having a couple guys give you scoreless innings. Derek Holland gave you a scoreless inning. Kyle Funkhauser, two-thirds of an inning scoreless despite giving up three hits. And then from there, Buck Farmer gives up three runs in two innings. Joey Jimenez gives you up three runs in an inning. Gregory Soto gives up two runs in one inning. And J.A. Happ he was not J.A. Hap-Hap-Array. He was J.A. Hap-Hap-Boo. And by the way, if you listened to the podcast yesterday, Jeff Sheesby, a.k.a. the old man who bets, he gave out the over in this one. So this was a no-sweat winner. But for Hap, nine runs given up in three innings. That was not too terrific. Then from there, you wind up having Juan Manaya give up four runs in three innings. And Bo Burrows give up four runs in three innings as well. And for the Minnesota Twins, they lose this game despite winning the home run battle by a count of 7-0. Miguel Sano goes deep not once but twice. His 16th and 17th home runs of the season. Max Kepler is 14th home run of the season. Gregory Palonco is 15th home run of the season. Brett Rooker is 4th home run of the season. And then you wind up having a pair of home runs out of Ryan Jeffers for his 7th and 8th of the season. And the Twins still lose by a field goal. So that was pretty insane. And we wound up seeing quite a few teams put up some big numbers. The Houston Astros reached double digits against the Seattle Mariners. 11-4 the final in this one. Now the Seattle Mariners run differential is just getting comical. 55-48 and 48 with a negative 58 run differential as the Houston Astros got a pair of home runs in this one. Yoli Gurriel, 11th home run of the season. That comes off of Yusei Kikuchi and then Ryan Weber serves one up to Kyle Tucker. 20th home run of the season. For Kikuchi, gives up four runs, three of which were earned over the course of five innings, and a Mariners bullpen that no longer has Kendall Graveman. Well, they were digging a grave in this one, right? Weber gives up two runs in two innings. Keenan Middleton gives up a run in an inning. Anthony Machevich, Shaichi Chargua, they combine for an inning, and they give up four runs. And for the Mariners, they got a pair of home runs in this one. Abraham Toro has spent two days in a Seattle Mariners uniform. Ain't now has two home runs with them. Eight overall for the season. Kyle Seager gets his 21st home run of the season, but for the Mariners, they go 0 of 9 with men in scoring position as Jake Odorizzi gets a win. Five and a third innings. He gives up three runs in the process. Brooks Raley, he's able to give you two outs out of the bullpen without giving up a run. You wind up having a scoreless inning out of Brian Abreu. He actually winds up going one and a third innings as Brandon Belak gives you a scoreless inning. Christian Avier winds up giving up a run in two-thirds of an inning. So the Astros getting things going out west. The Oakland A's were able to get things going out west as well. As they get a 10-4 win as Chaminet wound up pitching six no-hit innings. He winds up giving up a hit and then was promptly pulled, but he was able to give you six scoreless. From there, the bullpen wasn't necessarily great. Diolis Carrera winds up getting four outs, but gives up three runs. J.B. Wendelkin gives up a run in an inning. And Andrew Chafin, the new acquisition from the Cubs, he winds up giving you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, but for the Oakland A's, they do wind up going 5-11 of 11 with Bennett's scoring position. And Matt Chapman, a three-run homer off of Blake Snell, 13th homer of the season for Snell. He entered into this game with right around a 1-5 home ERA, and he got destroyed. Seven runs given up in four innings. Certainly does not look like a former Cy Young at this point. From there, Craig Salmon is able to give you two scoreless innings. Austin Adams, Pierce Johnson, they both give you a scoreless inning. And Isabel Kurzman gives up three runs in an inning. He was hurt by a pair of fielding errors as none of these were earned. But Fernando Tatis Jr. now leads the league with 20 errors. And Kurzman winds up committing one of his own. So it was not a good day out there for the Slam Diego Padres. It was a good day for the New York Yankees though. They wind up being able to take down the Tampa Bay race by kind of 3-1. to one. And they're going to be getting Joey Gallo. As for the Yankees, they go just 1 of 10 with men in scoring position. They win this game in the 10th inning with a pair of runs there. And Nestor Cortez gave them a great start. Gives up one run over the course of five innings. From there, Zach Britton, Chad Green, Aroldis Chapman all give you a scoreless inning. And Lucas Lucic winds up giving you two scoreless innings for the race. A good start out of Michael Walker. I know that my girlfriend hates it when I call him Michael Waka 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 using the dying Pac-Man voice, so I will now retire it after I gave you that one. But 
one unearned run over the course of five innings. Uh, he certainly was not the dying Pac-Man voice in this one. Lone run was given up because of a Joey Wendell error, by the way, but Drew Rasmussen, two and a third inning scoreless. Matt Weisler, he winds coming in for one and two thirds inning scoreless. Pete Fairbanks, he winds giving up two runs, one of which was earned in the tenth inning without committing an out, and then you get Andrew Kittredge in there to give you a scoreless inning, but for the race, just nothing doing on offense in this one. Three hits across ten innings, that is not going to cut it. It is not going to cut it when the Atlanta Braves score one run as well. They wind up losing to the New York Metropolitans by a count of two to one. For the Braves, Max Reed gave you a good start. He gives up a home run, two runs in total over the course of seven innings, going deep for the Mets. Brandon Drury, that's a name we haven't said a lot of this year. His fourth home run season, and for Tyler McGill, he continues to be amazing for the Mets. Gives up one run over the course of five and a third innings. That one run was a solo home run by Austin Riley. His 20th home run of the season, and then the Mets bullpen from there goes to work. Trevor May, Edwin Diaz both give you a scoreless setting. Aaron Loop, Jersich, Familia, they combine for a scoreless setting. And Seth Lugo, it will give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and for the Atlanta Braves, they got... In ending out of the bullpen out of Chris Martin, he was able to go scoreless there, but for the Atlanta Braves, 1 of 10 with men in scoring position. They still have not been above 500 for a single day all year. Meanwhile, for the Mets, they are now at home 32 and 17. That is the second best home win percentage out there in the National League. A team that has been able to do a pretty solid job all year long is the Boston Red Sox. They wind up doing a good job against the Toronto Blue Jays on Wednesday in their double dip, taking game two by kind of four to one for the Blue Jays. In game two, Steven Matz gives up four runs over the course of three and a third innings. From there, the bullpen was able to go to work. Trent Thorne was able to give you a scoreless inning along with Patrick Murphy. You wind up getting a pair of outs out of Kirby Sneed, who I believe wound up making his major league debut. But for the Boston Red Sox, Tanner Rook, he was giving them the hook. Seven punch outs in four innings, gives up just one run. Garrett Woodlock, two scoreless innings out of the bullpen, and Matt Barnes. Converts his 23rd save of the season, and I thought that Jaron Duran wound up getting an inside-the-park home run. I think that they ruled that as a triple, but certainly was an exciting play. And then in Game 1, it was the exact opposite, as the Blue Jays won that one by kind of 4-1. to As Garrett Richards, he got the start, and boy, it was not a good one. He gives up four runs over the course of four innings, including a pair of home runs. Randall Gritchick goes deep, 19th home run of the season, and George Springer seems to be getting online, 9th home run of the season, as Robbie Ray. He has been giving up a lot of home runs so far this year, wound up not giving up the deep fly in this one. Just one run given up over the course of six innings. Jordan Romano winds up converting the save with a scoreless setting. And bullpen was pretty solid in this one as well. Brandon Workman, scoreless setting. And Yaxal Rios winds up giving you two scoreless settings as well. So, going to be interesting to watch the American League East moving forward. Going to be interesting to see what happens with the Chicago Cubs. And if you wind up having the under in this one, I really, really feel bad for you. Total winds up closing at 10. Five runs in the ninth inning gives you a brutal push. Eight to two, the final for the Cincinnati Reds. Pair of home runs off the bat of Joey Votto. His 18th and 19th home run of the season. Here's a list of things that are currently hotter than Joey Votto. Lava. That is the end of the list. As he has now went yard in each out of his last five games. He now has four home runs in his last two games. Seven in his last five. This man is in fuego. And Tyler Molly, he has been lighting it up as well. Six squirrel settings. He's got a road ERA that's hovering right around two. From there, Luis Sessa, new acquisition of this team, along Justin Wilson. Both guys wind up coming in from the Yankees. They both give you a squirrel setting. Ryan Hendricks gives up two runs, one of which was earned hurt by a Jonathan India fielding error. Before that, the Cubs had no runs, so that fielding error wound up costing you a big time. And for the Cubs, Zach Davies, not necessarily the world's greatest start. Six innings pitched by him. He gives up four runs in the process, and then you wind up having in the ninth inning, Corey Abbott give up three runs in his inning. Dill Maples gives up a run in an inning, and then you wind up having Adam Morgan give you a scoreless inning. And for the Cubs, two of eight with men in scoring position. This is a team that they have won eight games ever since that 
Combined no-hitter, I believe that was on June 24th against the LA Dodgers, so things have not been going great for them. Things did not wind up going great for the other Chicago team on Wednesday as well. The White Sox wind up losing by kind of 3-2 for the Kansas City Royals. They were able to tie things up in the ninth inning. That was thanks to a Salvador Perez home run off of Liam Hendricks, 24th home run season, and then they win it in the 10th. Chris with the K. Bubich was able to give the team a solid start, giving up two runs over the course of six innings. From there, Domingo Tapia, Josh Shamount, Greg Cullen, Scott Barlow, all able to give you scoreless innings for the White Sox. A very good start here from Lucas Gilito. He gives up one run over the course of six innings. Aaron Bummer was not a bummer. He, Michael Kopech, both give you a scoreless inning. Ryan Burr winds up giving up the unearned run that starts on second base in the 10th inning. And Liam Edricks gives up that home run to Salvador Perez that winds up leading to the L as these two teams were not able to get a lot going on offense, but Perez was able to have that big hit that allowed the Royals to get to victory. If you want up tailing my New York Post play, the over in the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Texas Rangers, the two top players with regards to home runs going into this game wound up getting traded about an hour before the game as Joey Gallo dealt to the New York Yankees, Eduardo Escobar dealt to the Milwaukee Brewers, Arizona Diamondbacks, Get the job done by kind of 3-2. And hey, all of a sudden, the Arizona Diamondbacks are starting to win games. So you got to give them a little bit of credit. This is our team that is 2-2 two two in their last four games. And if you're looking over the course of their last eight games, I believe that they have won five of them. So don't look now, but here come the Arizona Diamondbacks. Dalton Varsha along David Peralta, both able to get their fifth home run season for Jordan Lyles, who has given up the second most home runs out there in the big leagues. He wound up giving up one of them, but really one of his best starts of the year. He gives up two runs on two hits in the course of seven innings. From there, Brett Martin winds up giving up one of those home runs of one to Varsho, and then from there, you wind up having Dennis Santana give you a scoreless inning, but Madison Baumgartner looks like he's back to his normal self. Gives up two runs over the course of seven innings. Joaquin Soria, Tyler Clippard, Boy, those guys are ancient, and boy, those guys look good, giving you a scoreless ending apiece as the Rangers go one of seven with men in scoring position. So the Rangers have won one game ever since the All-Star break, and they have been able to exceed four runs just once in that time span as well. That is called not good, ladies and gentlemen. This was also not good. The Miami Marlins wind up blowing a big-time lead against the Baltimore Orioles. They wind up getting up by a count of 5-0, to zero, and they wind up losing by a count of 8-7. to seven. For the Baltimore Orioles, offense has really been able to get going for this team, and they wound up getting a pair of home runs in this one. Pedro Severino is 6th home run season. Trey Boom Boom Mancini is 19th for the Miami Marlins. Jordan Hallway got the start, and it was not a good one. He gives up five runs, four of which were earned over the course of two and a third innings, giving up both of those home runs. From there, David S. gives you five outs out of the bullpen scoreless. You wind up getting scoreless innings out of Zach Pop along with Preston Gilmet. I have never heard of that guy before in my life, but he looked solid. From there, you wind up getting John Curtis with two S's to give you four outs out of the bullpen, and Richard Blyer gives up two runs, one of which was earned that sent this game to extras, and then you wind up having the winning run given up by Stephen O'Kurt. As for the Miami Marlins, they wound up dealing Starling Marte of the Marte Parte to the Oakland A's hours before this game. Jesus Aguiar, he's still on the team, and he gets his 18th home run season. He is off off of one. Rinaldo Lopez, who Boy, did he not look good in this one. Gives up five runs over the course of two innings. He right now leads the league with 12 losses, and he was lucky to not take one here. Tom Eshelman comes out of the bullpen. He gives up two runs over the course of three innings. From there, everyone was lights out. Dylan Tate, Tanner Scott combined for a scoreless inning. Cole Solzer gives you a scoreless inning. Cesar Valdez, two scoreless innings. So things not going the fish's way 
here this season in general. This one did not wind up going the way of the St. Louis Cardinals. They wind up losing to the Cleveland Indians by a count of 72. For the St. Louis Cardinals, you wind up having Dylan Carlson get his 11th home run of the season. That comes off of Zach Plesak. That's really the only form of brightness that you had for the team for Plesak. Gives up that home run, gives up two runs in total over the course of five innings. Blake Parker, Nick Samlin, Emmanuel Classe, and James Karinczak all give you scoreless innings from there. And then for the Cleveland Indians, you wind up getting four home runs in this one. Framio Reyes, his 18th and 19th home runs of the season, both off of Kwon Young Kim. Kim serves one up to Jose Ramirez, his 22nd home run of the season. Cesar Hernandez also went deep off of Mr. Kim, his 18th home run of the season. Raquan Young Kim, he gives up all four home runs, five runs in total over the course of two and two-thirds innings. Justin Miller from there, he gives up two runs in one and a third innings. And for Kim, he had actually come in in very good recent form, by the way. He had given up a combined two earned runs in his last four starts, so giving up four home runs in his start was not great. But then from there, John Gant, Alonso Adam Miller both give you a scoreless inning. And you get two scoreless innings out of Luis Garcia. Problem was, it was just a little bit too little, too late. Both teams hovering right around 500, so it's been an interesting year for both. Been an interesting year for the San Francisco Giants, but this one did not wind up going their way. 8-0. The LA Dodgers were able to get it done in this one after they had lost 7 out of their last 10 to the San Francisco Giants. Walker Buehler, he was on his game. 7 scoreless inning. From there, Mitch White completes the final 2 innings for the LA Dodgers. Cody Bellinger, who has not been good this year, hitting below a buck 75. Fifth home run season. That comes off of John Breba and Anthony DiScalfani. I don't think he wants to be seeing the Dodgers anymore. He has an ERA that is hovering right around 9 and 5 starts against them this year against all other teams in the big leagues. It is sub 2. Gives up 4 runs over the course of 2 and 2 thirds innings. Jose Alvarez, 1 and a third inning scoreless. You wind up having some long relief provided from Sammy Long. 2 scoreless innings. John Breba, it was not good for him. He gives up 4 runs and 2 innings at Dominique Leo was able to give you a scoreless inning. And then the other team out there in the NL West, the Colorado Rockies, they had an interesting one against the LA Angels. As Mr. Shoy Otani goes deep once again, 8-7 victory for the LA Angels as giving up three home runs in four outs, giving up five total runs. Jesus Tinoco, and that would be all the home runs that the LA Angels would get for Otani. 37th home run of the season, league leading amount with that regard. Max Sassi is 9th home run of the season, Justin Upton is 15th. It was supposed to be one Chichi Gonzalez in the start. He got scratched, so Lucas Gilbreath was pretty much an opener. He gives up a run in an inning. You wind up having Mr. Carlos Estevez give up a run in an inning. Antonio Santos, 2 and 2 thirds innings, he gives up just one run, and Ben Bowden gives you two scoreless innings. And for the Rockies, the offense has been able to get online one away from home. They're now actually 5 and 6 in their last 11 road games. It's much better than them winning six road games in, I believe, their first 37-38. You do wind up getting Trevor Story, his 13th home run season, as Andrew Heaney winds up going six innings, giving up three runs, including that homer. From there, the Angels' bullpen made things interesting. Tony Watson and Steve Ciszek both give you two-thirds of an inning. They give up a combined four runs for which were earned, but Rossio Iglesias was able to go for the final five outs, and he was able to lead the Angels to victory, and the Angels have all of a sudden been able to do a little bit of a better job here recently as they have been able to win four out of their last five games. And if you're doing some trend spotting in baseball, you wind up seeing a whole bunch of overs yesterday, but all in all, if you're looking over the last three days, unders have a lead on overs. Warren 68 unders, Warren 64 overs. We're a little bit over a month since the sticky stuff situation wound up coming to pass, and pitchers are no longer able to use it. And we've seen more unders and overs in that time span, even though overall offense has been up. We've seen a lot of what we wound up seeing yesterday. Teams either scoring 10 runs or they don't score any whatsoever. Favorites in this time span, 
204 and 144 over the last three days, so that's about a 58.5% rate. If you're looking at home teams, they're winning about 55% of the time. 193 and 158 over the last 30 days. If you're looking over the last seven days, favorites have been able to do a solid job. 52 and 37, and in that time span, overs. 34 of them, unders 49. So 59% of games over the last seven days have went under despite the fact that we wound up seeing a nice outburst yesterday. If you're looking overall for the year, overs have a slight lead over unders. 626 overs, 623 unders. That is 50.1% to the over. Yeah, these guys that set these lines, they do a pretty good job at their job. Favorites are inning at about 58.5% overall for the year, 880 and 623. And if you're looking at home teams, they've been doing pretty solidly as well. 838 and 679, we've noticed that ever since we've gotten more fans back in the stands, home teams have been able to do a little bit better. So that's what we all saw from Major League Baseball on Wednesday. Now let's take a look to see what the Cubs fire sale might be looking like. How the Milwaukee Brewers just keep on getting the job done. Can they be a little bit of a force in October? We're going to be talking about all that and so much more with Alex Crow of 620 WTMJ in the great city of Milwaukee up next right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with myself, Greg Peterson. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back in the Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is always great to go out to the great state of Wisconsin. And it is always great to connect with someone who is a graduate of the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh. Alex Crow fits the bill on both of them. He is an anchor and reporter for 620 WTMJ. That is the flagship station of so many of the Wisconsin sports teams out there. Mainly for this podcast, it is the flagship of the Milwaukee Brewers, but they also do great work with the Green Bay Packers, the Milwaukee Bucks. So people in the state of Wisconsin still probably a little bit hungover from that, and rightfully so. First championship that winds up going to the great state of Wisconsin in quite a while, but he does a great job with a little bit of everything. And Alex, interestingly enough, a Cubs fan. So we'll be talking about their fire sale, the NL Central, and so much more. And to be able to follow Alex on Twitter, you're able to follow him at AlexCrow38. And that is the numbers three and the number eight. Don't wind up spelling out 38, but Alex, great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm surprised you waited until number three to mention the Milwaukee Bucks because around here, that would certainly be number one right now. It certainly has been absolutely tremendous to see all the outpouring of support for the Milwaukee Bucks. And hey, hopefully the city will be able to do that for the Milwaukee Brewers as it seems like they are on their way to the postseason. And mainly because there's really nobody else that could catch them in the division. The Cincinnati Reds had a golden opportunity coming out of the All-Star break. If they would have been able to sweep that series at home against the Brewers, they would have been just one game back. Instead, they wind up getting swept. They wind up falling seven games back as a result. It's really been a stalemate since then. And then, obviously, you've got the Reds and the Cubs doing battle in a series. But I take a look at the NL Central. It's not like it would be the most inconceivable thing ever if the Reds wind up coming back and being able to make the postseason. But I really think that they blew that big opportunity that they had at the All-Star break. And now it's just really trying to piecemeal what is a roster that I just can't see making the postseason. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. I think that at the beginning of the year, you know, you and I talked about the team in the NL Central who would run away with it would be the team that was able to figure out their back-end pitching, right? And 
so far the Brewers have had enough back-end pitching to be able to hold things together. I mean, certainly when you have set up like Devin Williams and you have a closer like Josh Hader, things are made a little bit easier for you in that sense. But they really have been the ones who have been able to figure out the back-end pitching. Their offense has been streaky, but they've been able to avoid that with the strength of their back-end pitching. And you're right, the Reds took three or four from the Brewers before the All-Star break. And the Brewers were kind of reeling because they also had lost two of three to the Mets and they had that one that was rained out and made into a doubleheader. And it was just a weird way to kind of go into the All-Star break. Credit to the Brewers a little bit about their schedule, you know, being able to take some time off. But they got swept in that short little two-game series by Kansas City and they came back by doing what they needed to do against the White Sox, getting a lot of great offensive output. Against the Pirates, you do what you got to do, right? We talked about it with the Brewers earlier in the year when they were playing the likes of the Rockies and the Diamondbacks every other week. You can't control what you can't control. So you beat the teams that are in front of you. And so far, the Brewers have done a phenomenal job of that. And the rest of the Central hasn't. And that's puts us in the situation where half the teams are ready for a fire sale. Some are sitting in the purgatory of the Midwestern middle NL central and the Brewers have risen to the top. It has been a great year for the Milwaukee Brewers. And what I think is the difference between this Brewers team as compared to the ones that we've seen in the past is just the frontline starting pitching because we remember when they wanted making the national league championship series in 2018, they were doing it with getting like, Two, three innings out of their starters. Gio Gonzalez was the guy that they were trotting out there. That was just not what they needed. The bullpen wanted breaking down. Now, unlike so many of the other teams that are out there, just in Major League Baseball in general, they've got three guys in Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns that can that can consistently give them six-plus innings on any given night. When you pair that up with Devin Williams and Josh Hader, in my opinion, the best eighth and ninth inning combo in baseball, I think that this is a team that you really don't want to be facing in the postseason. And if you're looking for a little bit of dark horse, due to that pitching, it is the Brewers because, as we know, the scoring typically winds up falling a little bit in the postseason. Every pitch matters, and if you just are able to get that bloop and a blast with the Brewers, you can win a two-to-one game on any given night when these guys are starting. Yeah, I think that bullpen pitching is absolutely key when you get into a postseason run. So is health, and we'll see what happens there. And the Brewers do need some sort of offensive consistency. Christian Yelich just hasn't been there this year. I know he's out right now after testing positive with COVID, but before that, hit, the offensive production was not the same. They haven't been able to put it together consistency. You're right. They had a bunch of all-stars this year, and they were all pitchers. It's been what they've been able to do from the mound has been the story for Milwaukee this year. The problem is when you run into other teams that have very good pitching, when you run into teams like San Francisco, you're going to need to be able to score consistently. And you might be able to make a bit of a playoff run, but if you run into a buzzsaw like that, it's going to be difficult to beat without some sort of consistency across the board. We do have Alex Crow joining me here on the podcast. Does a great job with 620 WTMJ, and he is someone that is a Chicago Cubs fan, and we've got to talk about that team right now because – It looks like there's going to be a bit of a fire sale with the Cubs as we're doing this podcast. Really, the only trade that we've seen with the Cubs is Andrew Chafin getting dealt in. I don't think anyone saw Andrew Chafin posting up right around a two-ish ERA, so that was a nice find for the Cubs. We're hearing a lot about Craig Kimbrell. We're hearing a lot about guys like Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, what have you, and ultimately just being someone that is relatively close to Chicago because out there in Milwaukee, I think that few people that are outside of, I would say, the Midwest realize that Milwaukee and Chicago are within an hour of each other. But what do you ultimately think is going to be happening at the deadline? Because I do think that a couple of these guys are going to be dealt, but at the same time, I've got to feel like the Cubs 
wind up holding on to at least one of the big guys in Baez, Anthony Rizzo, along with Chris Bryant, maybe even two of them, having them as flag bearers of the franchise, for lack of a better term, and trying to rebuild from there. Yeah, this is tough, right? Because this is the team that ended the drought. This is the team, the core, that brought the Chicago Cubs a championship. But this core has also badly underperformed at times when they've needed the most. There has been repeat after repeat of that incident happening from game 163 against the Brewers to a terrible little mini series against the Colorado Rockies. It has been a lot of disappointment for this core. And you kind of understand what the front office is doing, right? The Cubs had that losing streak earlier this year that put them basically out of contention for the postseason. So now you have a lot of guys who you don't have club control for for very long. And you might as well get something for it for a team that's trying to go after it and win it all and try and build up your core. You've still got a core of guys that I think are pretty strong. I think that Wilson probably sticks around. I think that Patrick Wisdom probably sticks around. I think Javier Baez is certainly on the table. I think Chris Bryant is certainly on the table, especially with the numbers that they're reported to be looking for. Javier Baez reportedly has been looking for $200 million. I mean, Greg, that's just not going to happen. I'm not sure that he is worth $200 million. So we'll see if someone gives it to him. But I think Rizzo is certainly on the table as well. And you're right, a guy like Craig Kimbrell is definitely on the table. We'll see what they get back for and we'll see what kind of prospects they get. Maybe they package one of those guys with Kimbrell and see what they're able to get for him for a team that really wants to make a deep run. And I think that's how they would probably maximize the value for both of them. The front office is not clear in all of this. This is a team that has cried poor when they are in one of the richest markets and they have bled that well dry. They've created their own TV network. They have built the stadium and just rented it out with a ton of different advertisements everywhere. They're making money off of it. For them to cry poor and trade away good pieces like they did you Darvish in the offseason, I'm, I'm not on board with and I don't think that the ownership is doing the right thing. But I think this is where we're at and we'll see what the Cubs do and what they can get for them. And I'm right there with you on the Darvish trade as well, because even though the team batting average of the Cubs has not necessarily been stellar this year, it's been towards the bottom five for much of the month of July. They have been able to come up with runs. They still have quite a few guys that even though they don't necessarily do the world's greatest job of getting on base, case in point, Javi Baez, he comes up with big hits in big spots. We saw that when he was taunting Amir Garrett a couple days ago. That I thought was Absolutely hilarious. I know that it wound up ruffling some feathers, which I absolutely love to see a good brouhaha go on in baseball. But when you take a look at this Cubs team, I do think that the undoing was not having that starting pitching because you've got guys like Adbear Alzale, Zach Davies having to be frontline starters. And Davies has been just fine for the team. Kyle Hendricks has 12 wins. I really don't know how he's got 12 wins, but he's got 12 wins for them. So that shows that the Cubs are able to win with halfway decent starting pitching. But I mean, I even take a look at what they're going to be throwing out there on Thursday and Alec Mills. Sure, Alec Mills, not necessarily the world's worst pitcher, but at the same time, I really feel like where this team went wrong was trading away Hugh Darvish because even if they would have been able to get a couple of decent starts out of him with what they wound up going through in the month of late June slash early July with just not getting those quality starts, I think that that was their ultimate unraveling. And you saw the bullpen be very good at the beginning of the year. I think that because they just kept on getting bad start after bad start, that wound up compiling on them. And that's why over the last 30 days, we've seen their bullpen ERA really start to skyrocket and the team start to lose games as a result. 
Yeah, and you start seeing outfielders and and first basemen being put in as pitchers. Greg, that trade, trading away you Darvish, having a halfway decent team, winning the division, and then trading away a guy who was second in Cy Young, really, for a lot of Cubs fans like me, felt like it was back to the old Tribune owning the Cubs days. It felt like it was back to, we're going to give out a contract, then we're going to try and trade a bunch of it away and eat a bunch of it, and it's back to the lovable losers. You know, once they start to get good, we're going to maximize that trade value and trade them away. And we'll keep one or two superstars. We'll keep a Starlin Castro around. But for the most part, this is what it's going to be. And I think Theo saw the writing on the wall. That's clear to everyone now. Theo said, I'm getting out of here. And he did that. And that was really the beginning of the end. It came a year earlier than everyone expected because he saw what was coming. And he wanted no part of it. And I, I don't blame him whatsoever. I think this is purely on the ownership. And the front office at a certain point says, all right, this is what we have to work with. They have cut off the well. They have cut off the money. And this is what we're going to have to do. We have to operate like a small market team in Chicago, which is ridiculous. Yeah, it certainly has been tough for the Chicago Cubs with regards to the starting pitching. I really do feel like if they would have held on to you, Darvish, they would have had maybe a stopper during that losing streak. And who knows where the Cubs wind up going from there? Because ever since that combined no-hitter, they have had a bottom five record in the big leagues. Prior to that, they look like they might be in the playoff hunt. And I know that Anthony Rizzo just kept on saying until really the month of July came around that they're just going to win so many games that they're going to force ownership to be able to buy in. That just wound up going by the wayside as we do have Alex Crow joining me on the podcast. And when I take a look forward, I think that it's just going to be so interesting to see who winds up getting sold and where they wind up going to. Because I think we both agree, if you're out there in the NL Central and the NL East, you have to win your division or else you're not making the postseason. I think that the Padres, Dodgers, and Giants are bona fide playoff teams. It would take a big, giant collapse for any of those three to wind up not making it. And things get a little bit more interesting out there in the American League because we've seen it with a team like the Seattle Mariners. They have wound up making a couple deals here in the last 48 to 72 hours as they probably are a team that shouldn't have the record that they do if you take a look at all the metrics. But here they are. They've been able to do a great job. You've got an Oakland A's team that is looking to hold on to a wild card spot. That American League East, you've got to feel like the Rays and the Red Sox are going to continue to try to add as well. So you've got so many races that could be impacted by what the Cubs wind up doing over these next 72 or so hours. Yeah, I think the A's and the Mariners are almost really in a race against themselves, right? Because it seems like the Sox will run away with the Central. It seems like the Red Sox and or the Rays are going to end up battling. One team will take the division. Another team will take a wild card, the Yankees. Nobody really believes in them right now. Then you'll have the AL West. It'll most likely be the Astros once again. And then you'll have the A's and the Mariners fighting it out. We'll see what ends up happening with that. But you're right. I think that the Cubs, again, if they can package a couple of players together, I think that they might be able to maximize the most value and see what they can get out of it. They got a solid haul earlier this week in their deal with the A's. It all depends on what the front office is able to do, again, with what the ownership has given them to work with. It's going to be so fascinating to watch the Cubs over the next 48 to 72 hours. The National League Central race looks like it's going to be going in favor of the Milwaukee Brewers. Got to feel like the Reds, if they want to climb back into it, they're going to need to add a little bit more than what they have right now. That was adding Luis Sessa and Justin Wilson, a guy with a North of ERA from the New York Yankees. Needless to say, I wouldn't consider that to be a blockbuster deal, but what is always a blockbuster is getting great guests on this podcast. And Alex, you are certainly one of them. You do a great job over there at 620 WTMJ out there in the great city of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You cover a little bit of everything over there. As I mentioned, you are tied in with the Chicago Cubs. And just 
the Midwest sports landscape in general. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what you've all got going on in general. Yeah, you can follow me at AlexCrow38 on Twitter. I think that your fans would be most interested that I was able to go out to the Deer District and the Overflow area where the old Bradley Center used to be the night that the Bucks did actually win it in six and win the NBA championship. I think I am still recovering from being out that late. <laughs> I just, I'm old now, man. I can't do it as much anymore. It was a great time. I got some great pictures and took some videos of the moment that they won it from down in that crowd. And it was an experience unlike any other. So happy to uh, come on and talk about it and talk about baseball with you. It's been fun. The old age of like 28, 29 years old, <laughs> Alex. We are all crying pity for you right now. But with that said, it has been absolutely tremendous to just take a look at the state of Wisconsin last few weeks, being someone that wanted to spend the first 22 years of my life out there. I can tell you right now, I was certainly celebrating that Bucks championship. Aaron Rodgers is actually going to be playing for the Packers this year. The Milwaukee Brewers are in the NL Central lead. The Wisconsin Badgers football team, it looks like the outlook is pretty solid for them as well. So it is a great time to be in the state of Wisconsin. And that's where we do find Alex Crow joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you sign total on every game on the betting board for the Thursday. And a little something you like to call, touch them all. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is always great to have Alex Crow aboard. Does great work out there in the wonderful city of Milwaukee with 620 WTMJ. Seems as though we're going to be seeing a little bit of a fire sale going on with the Chicago Cubs. going to be very fascinating to watch them over the next few days as they've already traded away Andrew Chafin as I'm doing this podcast. I haven't seen too much more with them, but you got to figure that other moves are going to be coming and hopefully I'm going to be able to make some moves, be able to make you guys some money as it is that time of the podcast. I give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday and a little something I like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenSquarty1, as per usual. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and any inter-league games are going to be at the bottom, so that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy there, and as per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This begins with 950 951 on the betting board. The Atlanta Braves hit the road face-off against the New York Metropolitans. Taiwan Walker is going to be going for the Mets. Drew Smiley is going to be on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. The Braves are finding themselves as underdogs anywhere between plus 115 and plus 128. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Metropolitans, going to be finding them anywhere between minus 135 and minus 138. And your total on this game is 8.5. Unders anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Overs between minus 110 and minus 105. And for Drew Smiley, wound up having a very rough start to the year. He was just giving up deep shot after deep shot. He has actually been able to rein it in quite a bit. And you take a look at Taiwan Walker. He is coming off of 
of his worst start of the year, but by and large, giving up less than a home run per nine innings. He has been able to do a solid job at home, giving up six runs in his last two starts combined in four and a third innings. Certainly not a great look, but still has been able to get the job done at City Field. 268 ERA, 4-1 and one record, giving up four home runs in 15 and a third innings. And the Mets in general have the best ERA at home so far this year. It is sub three, so they've been able to do a solid job there. You take a look at Smiley. I mentioned the deep ball problems. Give it up right around 1.75 home runs per nine innings. But you do take a look at him on the road, and he's better than at home. On the road, 5-2 and two record across 10 starts. He has a 4-0-1 ERA. Give it up eight home runs in 51 and two-thirds innings. Still not great, but at the same time, it is a tad bit better. Now, the walks per nine, that's more around about a 3.8-ish, so you do have a little bit of an issue there. And for the Atlanta Braves, this is a team in which the bullpen has been improving a little bit. Josh Shaman has been able to give you some good innings after he wound up being a hot mess to begin the year. Jesse Chavez is coming. He's looked good. Shane Green, his ERA is plummeting. Then again, it was at like a 10 about a week ago, so there's no place for it to go but down. But then you take a look at the Mets. They do seem to be regressing with a couple of their guys. Miguel Castro has been a little bit up and down recently. Seth Lugo had a little bit of a tough time coming off the injury list. He seems to be finding it. Drew Smith has been able to give you some good innings, but I also take a look at the Mets, and this is an offense that is starting to get fully healthy. They are in the bottom five when it comes to runs per game in the big leagues, but Pete Alonso, ever since the home run derby, he has been able to do a very good job overall this year. He has been able to give you 22 home runs, so he certainly has been thriving in that regard, and he, along with Jeff McNeil, are both hitting between a 260 and a 275. Then you got James McCann, along with someone like a Tom Smith, that are both hitting in the pocket of about a 250. You've been able to get a whole lot out of J.D. Davis. He came off the injured list. Now has right around a 435 on base. Brandon Nimmo is hitting a 300 for this team as well. Thomas Nito, whenever he's out there, has been solid. And though Michael Conforto has not done a great job with the batting average, his 335 on base is relatively solid. And with him coming off the injured list about a week or two ago, got to figure that he's going to be able to rein it in. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Braves, Jock Peterson and Dansby Swanson. A pair of guys that are hitting right around a 235 to a 245 with about a 300 on base. So you could use a little bit more there, but both of these guys have double-digit amount of homers. Abraham Almonte's only hitting about a 230, but has about a 345 on base. And you've got to love the way that Freddie Freeman has been tearing it up this month. Going into yesterday's game, 23 home runs here in the month of July. He is hitting a 400 with a 495 on base going into yesterday. So he certainly has been able to get the job done. But I do take a look at this spot. I do think that Taiwan Walker is going to be able to give you a very good start. I do think that Drew Smiley is improved a tad, but at the same time, I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in him. This is a total in which I want to say at 8.7 with the way that the Mets have been improving with regards to their lineup and the way that Walker has been regressing a little bit and the way that I think that Smiley is going to see some regression as well. So we're going to be going over along with the Mets on the money line. 953-954 was supposed to be the Washington Nationals against the Philadelphia Phillies. That is now going to be a double dip due to COVID issues with the Washington Nationals. 973, 974, 975, 976. At this point, we have no idea who the starters are going to be for either of these games. It looks like Trey Turner has tested positive for COVID with the Washington Nationals as part of the reason why he was pulled out of Tuesday's game. We don't know who else is tested positive for the Washington Nationals. Pre this game being postponed, I wound up having Max Scherzer and Vince Velasquez for the original matchup with Max Scherzer being a minus 153 favorite and on the betting board when this was pulled off the full game for nine innings. So obviously this is not seven inning doubleheader. You were seeing in the Velasquez versus Scherzer game a total of eight and a half and you were seeing the Nationals as about a minus 140 favorite. This is one of which I'm going to try to give you guys as much as I can, but at this point, I think you're going to need to check back in the morning at GRS41 because it is a very fluid situation. 
situation. We don't know who's going to be pitching for either of these teams. We don't know who wound up testing positive other than Trey Turner at this point for the Washington Nationals because apparently four players wound up doing so. If it winds up being... Let's say, Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks. Josh Harrison, along with insert your backup player here for the Washington Nationals. It's not going to affect me too much in a Scherzer versus Velasquez start. I'd probably be taking a look at the Nationals. Probably going to be fading Patrick Corbin if we do wind up getting the Corbin versus Zach Wheeler matchup that we were supposed to get yesterday as well. I was setting Wheeler as about a minus 190 favorite in a nine-inning game. So there is that because Patrick Corbin is right now in the top five of the National League with regards to home runs allowed. And you do have a couple good bullpen pieces, but are you going to have right hand out there? Because not only are you dealing with COVID when it comes to the Washington Washington Nationals. This is a team that's probably going to be selling off a couple pieces as well. You know that Max Scherzer wound up getting scratched from his last start as well due to an injury. So we have got a lot of moving parts. This is one in which I tried to give you as much as I could, but we are right now in sort of a holding pattern on this double dip between the Washington Nationals and the Philadelphia Phillies. Check back in the morning at Unirs 41 because I can't give you much without knowing really what the starting pitching matchups are going to be because as I'm recording this, it is all to be determined and just not knowing who the Washington Nationals are going to be able to trot out there in general. Once I have more of it, a idea as to what's going to be going on, I will have numbers. Don't you worry there. 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. The Chicago Cubs are going to be playing us the Cincinnati Reds. We are on to Cincinnati and they're on to Luis Castillo getting the start. Meanwhile, Alec Mills is going to be on the bump for the Cubbies. Right now, we are finding the Reds as between a minus 114 and a minus 116 favorite. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Cubs, they are anywhere between minus 105 and plus 107. Currently, we've got no totals up on this game. Wrigley Field is a ballpark in which is very dependent on the wind. It looks like it's going to be very much blowing in. So this is a total that I personally wound up setting at 7.1. So at 7 or lower, I'd be taking a look at the over. 7.5 or higher, we'll be taking a look at the under. It looks like it's going to be blowing in at north of 12 miles an hour, even as high as 15 miles per hour. The Midwest, especially the states of Wisconsin and Illinois, wound up going through a hailstorm yesterday. So thoughts of prayers if you're out there. They were reporting baseball-sized hail towards like the Milwaukee, Chicagoland area. So hopefully you guys are all safe out there for one, but for two, you take a look at Luis Castillo and ever since he wound up having just an abysmal start to the year, he has been able to do a very good job. You take a look at his numbers in June and July, they just do not match up with what he wound up doing towards the start of the year. You take a look at what he wound up doing in April. He had an ERA that was hovering right around a 6-3. In May, it was more like an 8. Opponents were hitting north of a 300 off of him. In June and July, opponents hitting a buck 73 off of him in June, buck 88 off of him in July. A combined two home runs the last two months, so he has really been able to rein it in. This is a completely different gentleman, but we do know that Luis Castillo as well, he has always been a better pitcher at home than he has been on the road, but you take a look at his most recent couple road starts. He has given up two earned runs or fewer, and now each out of his last five, dating back to the beginning of the month of June, so he has been able to do a tremendous job there. You take a look at what you're getting on the other side for Alec Mills, and he's actually been a little bit of a better starter than he has been a reliever. He's been time in both the bullpen and as a starter. So far this year, he's given up right in the pocket of about 3.3 walks per nine innings. His home runs per nine hovering right around one. So the peripheral numbers aren't necessarily too bad. He's been a little bit lucky on balls in play, but at the same time, he is not necessarily a terrible swing and miss guy. It's giving you right around 7.8 strikeouts per nine innings. You'd like to see that be a little bit higher, but at the same time, it's passable. At home, he's giving up a 250 batting average and is giving up one home run per nine innings. So nothing great, nothing terrible. A three ERA at Wrigley Field. So 
that's something that you do want to take note of. And when you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds, this is a team that they are currently dealing with the injury to Nick Cassianos, but you still have three guys in the lineup that entered into yesterday with at least 17 home runs. Joey Votto wound up entering into yesterday with five home runs in the last four games, so he's got not. You've got Eugenio Suarez with 19 home runs, Buck 73 batting average is a liability, but with Jesse Winker, 21 home runs, he's hitting right around 8300, so he's been able to do a great job with that regard. And then you've got Kyle Farmer along Taylor Naquin. A combined 22 home runs between these two gentlemen. Both of these guys along with Aristides Aquino hitting between 245 and 250 and Aristides Aquino is right now having right around a 350 on base and Jonathan India at the top. 400 on base. He has been able to do a great job for the team all year long. Meanwhile for the Cubs, who knows if they wind up selling off another piece. We wound up having a quality chat with that with Alex Crow, but you had three guys in the lineup with between 14 and 18 home runs. You had Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Patrick Wisdom in there yesterday, but you notice that Avi Baez got the day off. Wilson Contreras got the day off. Wouldn't be surprised if they're not going to be in the starting lineup once again because, well, there are trade rumors going around the Chicago Cubs. Greg Kimbrell has been amazing as a closer, but is he going to be still on the roster at the time of first pitch is a very good question in my opinion. You've got him just doing absolutely amazing work as we know Andrew Chafin. We had right around 2 ERA this year. He wound up getting traded. You still have some solid players out there in the bullpen. Ryan Tapera has been able to do a good job for the team. Dan Winkler also has a sub-3 ERA. Rex Brothers had a good start to the year. He has really been regressing recently though. Now you're relying upon more of guys like Adam Morgan and company. And then when you take a look at what you're able to get out of the Reds bullpen, it has been a hot mess. But Luis Sessa, I at the very least, is going to be able to give this team a little bit of something. Would not be surprised if he's going to be able to pitch in this game. Tony Santian has come out of the bullpen. He has been okay as a reliever. He wanted to begin the year as a starter. He has had three scoreless outings coming out of the bullpen recently, so he's been able to lock in a little bit more there, but Amir Garrett has not necessarily been great. Brad Brock has been up and down as well, so you've got a whole lot of things going on with this game as well, but with that said, I've got a lot more faith in Luis Castillo than Alec Mills, and the Reds might actually wind up picking up pieces. The Cubs, they certainly are not going to be picking up pieces prior to this game. As of right now, I've got the Reds as a minus 128 favorite, and if the Cubs have a little bit of a sell-off prior to first pitch, it might wind up being a little bit higher. And with this total, like I said, with the wind blowing so far in, set it at 7.1. So 7 or lower going to be taking a look at the over 7 after I going to be taking a look at the under. Now we move on to my New York Post play of the day. 9.57, 9.58 on the betting board. You have the San Francisco Giants, and they are going to be playing OCLA Dodgers. David Price is going to be going for the Dodgers. Johnny Cueto is going to be on the bump for the Giants. Giants find themselves as underdogs. Anywhere between plus 105 and plus 113. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Dodgers, anywhere between minus 119 and minus 125. 8.5 is your total. Overs between minus 110 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 110. This is the New York Post play today because you've got a San Francisco Giants team that has the best record in baseball, both straight up and on the run line. They have been absolutely amazing all year long. And with Johnny Cueto, this is someone that has been significantly better when he has been at home rather than when he's been on the road. With the opponent's batting average, it's right around at 255 when he's in San Francisco. Nothing great, but at the same time, it'll play on the road. It is north of a 300, so he has been getting a little bit lucky on balls in play. But with Mr. Cueto, he has also been able to do a good job of being able to limit the walks as well. Seven walks in 52 and two-thirds innings when he has been at home. And his strikeout numbers at home, right around eight punch outs per nine innings on the road. That is more like seven, so that is something that I'm taking a look at for David Price. The team is 2-4 and four when he starts. Now, not all of this is David Price's fault because as a starter, he's got an ERA that is sub-3. So, in the role of starter, he has been able to do a relatively fine job. His walks per nine innings is very solid. He's given up 2.3 walks per nine innings. His strikeouts per nine... 
just a little bit below nine, but by and large, he looks like the David Price of old. You take a look at what he's been able to do here in the month of July. It's been three starts and a long relief appearance, 245 ERA. So he certainly looks like he is being able to lock in, but you also take a look at what he's been able to do throughout his career. He's always been a guy that has settled into his surroundings. So far this year, he's got a road ERA of a four and a home ERA of a 282. Not necessarily too much of a surprise there that lines up with what he's done throughout his career. And overall, opponents are hitting right around 290 off of him. And for the San Francisco Giants, I recognize that they're without the two Brandons, Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt. But at the same time, you do have quite a few guys with 10 plus home runs in the lineup. Out of their top six hitters from yesterday, five of them do. Darren Ruff, who's getting a home run every about 14 or so at best. Wilmer Flores. Austin Dickerson, Mikey Stremski, Buster Posey. And with Posey, he's got right around 330 batting average. With Mikey Stremski, only inning right around a 225 along with Austin Dickerson. But both of these guys have an on-base percentage that's between 80 and 100 points higher than their batting average. Jaron Ruff has been able to do a great job of getting on-base. Steven Duggar is hitting a 285 as well. Thario Estrada hitting well above a 300. And for the Dodgers, this is a team that they've got a lot of guys with 13-plus home runs. A.J. Pollock, Will Smith, Max Muncie, Chris Taylor, Justin Turner down for what? All in that fold. And pretty much all of these guys guys, aside from Will Smith, hitting at least a 272, but with that said, with the Dodgers, they are currently missing Mookie Betts. The outfield has been a little bit depleted, and Cody Bellinger still hitting a buck 63. Has been able to reach base, but he just has not been able to find it. This Dodgers team has been depleted with the bullpen as well. You take a look ever since the All-Star break going into yesterday, this is a bunch in which was 21st in the league in bullpen ERA. Rasuda Gratterall just has not looked right all year long. They have gotten back Jimmy Nelson, and Jimmy Nelson has actually been very good for them. A sub-2 ERA, so I give him some credit. Mitch White has been a little bit up and down, has been the victim of some earned runs as well, and the unintended consequences of Mookie Betts being out of the fold is that the fielding in general isn't as good with the LA Dodgers. And then you take a look at the San Francisco Giants. Over the last 30 days, top 5 bullpen ERA. Fielding independent is actually better than their ERA as well. You've got so many guys that are able to come in and give you some good innings. Jordan Garcia has been very good down the stretch. Jose Alvarez and Dominique Leon have been very good with Leon right around a buck 69 ERA going into yesterday. So, by and large, I take a look at this Giants team, and I do like what I'm seeing. Going into yesterday, they had won 7 out of the last 10 in this series as well. I think that Mr. Cueto is going to be able to deliver the goods, and for David Price, he has went north of four innings just once, and when he wound up getting stretched out against the Colorado Rockies in his previous start, he wound up giving up three runs, which was by far the most you could tell that he just was not as effective second and third time through the lineup, and I think that that's going to play a big part in this one. So the New York Post play of the day is the San Francisco Giants. I think that they should be the favorite in this spot. I also wound up saying the total at 9, so I'm going to be taking the over, and I'm going to be going with Deontes with my New York Post play of the day. 959-960 on the betting board. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing us to the Milwaukee Brewers. Freddie Peralta is going to be going for the crew. Chad Cool is going to be on the bump for the Pirates. Tron's game is 8. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. The over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. If you're looking at the Brewers, anywhere between minus 176 and minus 190. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Pirates, anywhere between plus 160 and plus 165. Freddie Peralta has been absolutely amazing for the Milwaukee Brewers all year long. I set them as right around a minus 180-ish favorite. Where I'm really going to be looking is the run line because I do think that the Brewers are going to be able to do enough to be able to get the job done here. I'm seeing that at a lot of places between minus 105 and minus 110. With the run line in the spot, I was willing to lay up to a minus 114, so I'm going to be looking at that to be able to reduce the juice because with Freddie Peralta, even though he's backed up by a Brewers team that overall this year hasn't had great offense, they are averaging right around 4.9 runs per game since the beginning of June. That's in the top half of the league. And for Peralta, this man has been absolutely amazing. With regards to strikeouts per nine innings 
and it's allowed per nine innings among qualifying National League starters. He's in the top two of both of those categories. He has allowed right around .9 home runs per nine innings. The walks can be a little bit high. That is the one thing that you need to be cautioned by. He is giving out right around four walks per nine innings. But with that said, this is also a man that has given up two runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. He has been very good against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, the last start that he wound up having against the Pirates was a loss, but that's because the team wound up scoring zero runs. So there's not a whole lot that he could have done about that. Meanwhile, you take a look at Jack Cool. He, among the most profitable pitchers out there in the big leagues, if you bet $100 on every one of their starts, he's actually in the top 10. His numbers aren't necessarily great. He's given up five walks per nine innings. His strikeouts per nine is right around seven and a half, but he just has been able to do a good job with the matchups, and you take a look at him overall, this is a gentleman that has given up one or zero runs in now three out of his last five starts. Three runs are fewer in each of them. He has been able to keep down the deep ball a little bit as well, giving up four home runs in his last five starts. He is backed up by a bullpen that has been a little bit shaky recently with having Kyle Grick out of the fold, but by and large, you have been able to get a little bit of something out of Richard Rodriguez, Jason Shreve, Chris Stratton. Now, I do think that you might wind up seeing someone like a David Bernard, one of these backup bullpen type of pieces, wind up getting traded away from the Pittsburgh Pirates, and as we know, Pirates aren't necessarily going to be backing him up with a lot of offense. Adam Frazier has already been traded away, so that means that in the starting lineup last night, you wound up having two guys hitting above a 265 for this team. John Nagowski, who I think is going to be seeing some regression, he is hitting at 282, but that average is falling and falling and falling, and Brian Reynolds, he's got a 390 on base, hitting above a 300, entered into yesterday with 18 home runs. He has been great. Now, I will say, Ben Gamble has been able to give you a little bit of something. He's got right around 250 batting average, but you take a look at what he's done ever since the beginning of the month of July, hitting right around a 330 this month. He has been able to get hot with that regard. Four out of his six home runs have come this month as well. You have been able to get a little bit of something out of Cabrian Hayes right around a 340 on base. He is a future for the scene, but then you've got so many guys that are hitting a sub-200 for the scene, like John Oliva, Rodolfo Castro. You're able to throw in there someone like a Kai Tom, and then you've got guys like Eric Gonzalez, Kevin Newman that are hitting more like a 220. Gregory Polanco is hitting a 210, so a lot of slugs out there. Meanwhile, for the Milwaukee Brewers, Colton Wong at the top of the fold, hitting right around 300. They've been without Christian Yelich the last few days, but I don't necessarily think that that's too big of a loss, especially with getting back Lorenzo Kane. Kane is not necessarily out there for his bat, but so it's right around a 325 on base, and got a lot of Brewers that have between a 320 and a 340 on base. William Adams, Avisio Garcia, I mentioned Kane, Tyrone Taylor, you're able to throw in there. Luis Urias as well. Urias has been able to give you right around 14 to 15 home runs. Tyrone Taylor has been able to come up with some good at-bats. Avisio Garcia has been able to do a great job of going deep for the team. 17 home runs going into yesterday, so I do like what I'm seeing there. And for the Brewers, Devin Williams, Josh Shader, best 8th and ninth inning duo in all of baseball. You're able to throw in there. Brad Boxberger has been good. Miguel Sanchez has been able to give you some good innings, so I think that the Brewers should be a big favorite in this spot. I think that Freddie Peralta is going to be able to get the job done. Going to be taking the Milwaukee Brewers on the run line. Said the soil at some Point three, and I'm going to be diving under as well. 961, 962 on the banging board. The Colorado Rockies are going to be in the road to face off against the Slam Diego Padres. Right now, we have got to be determined for the Colorado Rockies. I am currently seeing Kyle Freeland on ESPN.com. A little bit subject to change there. Meanwhile, Joe Musgrove is going to be going for the Padres. DraftKings put out a preliminary number of the Padres being a minus 280 favorite with the Rockies at plus 225. 8.5 was their total under of minus 120 and the overhead even. If that winds up being the case, I said this all at 9.2 and I made the Rockies a plus 197 underdog. So if you're giving me plus $2 with the Rockies, I will wind up taking it because with Kyle Freeland, he got off to a completely awful start to begin the year. And the Rockies in general got off to a completely awful start on the road. They wound up going, I believe it was 6-32 and 32 in their first 38 road games. 
They've actually won five road games over the last, I would say, 10 games. So they've actually been able to do a halfway decent job there. And you take a look at Kyle Freeland. He has been able to rein it in. In each out of his last six starts, he has given up three runs or fewer in every one of them. I think that he's given up a combined eight runs in that time span after he wound up compiling like a 964 ERA in his first five. So he certainly has been doing a much better job recently. On the road, it's been a little bit of a trial and tribulation. 510 ERA overall on the road, giving up six home runs in 30 innings. But keep in mind, that wound up coming early. Meanwhile, you take a look at Joe Musgrove, and he deserves better than the 6-7 and seven record that he's got right now. He has been able to generate right around 10.5 strikeouts per 9 innings. By and large, he has been able to give this team a very good start night in and night out, giving up right around 1.15 home runs per 9 innings. And take a look at him at home. 3-4 and four record despite a 283 ERA. Opponents overall this year are hitting about a 200 off of him, so he's been able to do a great job with that regard, giving up a little bit over 2.4 walks per 9 innings, but you take a look at the Padres as well. They are coming off a thrashing against the Oakland A's, and I do feel like maybe we've overrated the Padres a little bit, though. I take a look at this lineup, and it is very, very impressive. Among all guys that started, I believe every one of them, at least in the starting lineup, Ended the day with at least a 340 on base. That is just absolutely ridiculous. Now, Austin Supernola is coming off the injured list. He's going to need a little bit of time to be able to reacclimate himself. But you take a look at a guy like Emmanuel Machado. Ever since the beginning of the month of June, hitting north of a 325, he's got 18 home runs, north of 70 RBI so far this season. Fernando Tatis Jr., among his 31 home runs, 21 have been sold shots. But his first home run that he hit ever since the Adam Frazier trade, that was a two run shot because Adam Frazier was able to get on in front of him. He's right now leading the National League and hits Mr. Frazier is, so that is big for the team. Will Myers has right around 335 on base. Jake Cronenworth, 350 on base, 280 batting average, so you do have a lot with that regard as well, but you do take a look at the flip side for the Colorado Rockies. I recognize that this is by no means a great offense on the road as they've got the league worst batting average when they are on the road. They have far fewer home runs than any other team on the road. They've got 15 home runs less than any other team when they are on the road, but some of these guys have been able to find it a little bit more. Charlie Blackman, who wound up getting the day off yesterday, he's hitting right around a 300 on the road. You've had Ryan McMahon be able to hit a couple of bombs when he's been on the road. 16 home runs overall so far this year. On the road, he's been able to hit seven of them. It's not as bad as like a C.J. Crone, for instance, who has 14 home runs so far this year, and 11 of them have been on the road. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Connor Joe as well. A 28-year-old who's sort of been a little bit of a journeyman has been able to do a good job, especially on the road as well. And for the Colorado Rockies, you found a couple guys that are able to give you some good Innings. You've got you've got Daniel Barter who's been able to give the team 15 saves. They've had Michael Givens in the fold for much of the year. Looks like he is not going to be available in this game, but he has been able to deliver some good innings for this team. I know that I do like the upside of Tyler Kinley as well, though. He has certainly had his ups and downs so far this season. And then you take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of the Padres bullpen. It certainly has been great all year long. A top five bullpen ERA, but we have noticed that Emilio Pagan has certainly given up his deep shots. Tim Hill has been a little bit hit or miss, but still a sub three ERA in his bell curves. Matt is someone that I really do like because he is able to give you multiple innings. Austin Adams has been solid as well. I do think that the Colorado Rockies should be an underdog here, but if you're getting them north of $2, this is a team that, keep in mind, in their last two road games against the Padres going into the All-Star break, they were able to win both of them, and Kyle Freeland looks like he's in a little bit of better form. So, a 9 or lower going to be taking a look at the over, and if you're giving me $2 with the Colorado Rockies, going to take a shot there as well. 963, 964 on the betting board. The New York Yankees hit the road face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Luis Patino is going to be going for the Rays. 
Jace Garrett Cole is going to be on the bump for the Yankees. The Yankees find themselves anywhere between minus 141 and minus 145 favorites. Meanwhile, with the Rays between plus 125 and plus 133 is your price. It is your total. Under is between minus 110 and minus 105. While the over is between minus 110 and minus 115. And with Luis Patino, he is someone that I think has a lot of upside. A young guy who wound up beginning his career with the San Diego Padres has not necessarily had great results so far this year, but it's also been a very small sample size as he has pitched 25 and two-thirds innings, two long relief appearances, and five total starts. He has been tattooed in his last three, giving up at least four runs in each of his last three starts, but this is also a gentleman that he does his best pitching at home as well. He wound up getting completely lit up on the road at home. A 104 ERA so far this year. He's allowing one home run and two walks per nine innings, and opponents are a buck 38 off of him. So he has been vastly different with that regard. And then you take a look at Garrett Cole. I really do think that he's doing a solid job. He just has had his issues with the Boston Red Sox in two out of his last three starts against the Red Sox. He gave up three plus runs. And I will say overall, he has given up at least three runs in three out of his last four starts. But you take a look at his last five starts. Red Sox, Mets, Astros, Red Sox, Red Sox. That is not necessarily a stretch that I would wish upon anyone. You take a look at Garrett Cole and what he's been able to do on the road so far this year. 6-3 record, 270 ERA. And I will say, guys like G-Man Joy and company on the race have had his number. So that is something that you want to take a look at. Rays, by and large, have been able to own the New York Yankees, especially when they have been going up against Garrett Cole. And with the race, this is a team that they don't necessarily have a lot of guys with tremendous batting averages, but they've got a lot of guys with batting averages that are like 100 points lower than their on bases. You take a look at someone like A. Brandon Lau, for instance. North of 20 home runs so far this year, hitting right around 225, but a 335 on base. I want to mention G-Man Choi. He's hitting right around a 250, but more like a 375 on base. Brett Phillips hitting a 215 with a 315 on base. So you've got a lot of guys that fall into that category. Austin Meadows has been able to give this team 18 home runs, 71 RBI. He's got right around 240 batting average and a 330 on base. And then with the New York Yankees, this is a bunch that has been dealing with not having Aaron Judge in the fold quite a bit. He has just been in and out of the fold. That has certainly hurt them, especially COVID-19. That was not necessarily too pleasant to them. But you do have a couple guys that have been able to do a good job of being able to reach base. It's been a small sample size, but Esteban Florell has been able to give you a little bit of something. He, Gio Rochelle, along with Greg Allen, all entered into yesterday's contest hitting at least a 280. Rudet Rodor has been able to pick it up a little bit as well. This is a guy that I've just never really been bullish on because he seems to be very much a feast or famine hitter, but you're in the month of July, hitting right around 300, so got to give him a little bit of credit. Glaber Torres has not necessarily been able to find it with the power, just six home runs so far this year, but is hitting a 250, but then you take a look at the Yankees versus Rays bullpen. The advantage certainly goes to the Tampa Bay Rays. I do realize that they're dealing with J.P. Fireisen being on the injured list, but Diego Castillo has been very good for this team. Andrew Kittrich has a sub-2 ERA. Even a guy like a Jeffrey Springs has been able to do a good job. Matt Weisler has been able to give you some good innings. And then you take a look at the Yankees. Chad Green has just not been himself ever since. He wound up facing off against the Houston Astros a few weeks ago. He winds up giving up that big, giant comeback. Has given up at least two runs in three out of his last five appearances. So that has been rough. Looks like a roll this jam. And it's starting to find it once again. And Albert Abreu, I think, is going to be able to give this team some good innings. But when you're relying upon someone like a Sal Romano to give you good innings. They wound up acquiring Clay Holmes. Clay Holmes, I still remember, is infamous for walking pitcher Jordan Lyles when he was with the Milwaukee Brewers, I believe in 2019, and sparking their playoff run. I mean, all he had to do was get out the pitcher, and the Pirates would have won the game, and he couldn't do that, so I don't have a lot of faith in him being able to help the team out with his 5 ERA as well. I do think that it is advantage race here. I do think that the Yankees should be a slight favorite with Garrett Cole going, but I only want to make the Yankees in this spot a minus 124 favorite, so I'm going to be 
taking a shot here on the Tampa Bay Rays. Set this total at 7.6 as well. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring affair, so I'm going to be going under along with the Rays. 965, 966 on the betting board. You got the Chicago White Sox sitting the road face off against the Kansas City Royals. Carlos Hernandez is going to be going for the Royals. Carlos Rodon is going to be going for the White Sox. White Sox, anywhere between minus 171 and minus 180 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Royals, you're going to be getting them anywhere between plus 155 and plus 160, and your total is anywhere between 9.5 and 10 on the 9.5. Overs between minus 115 and minus 125. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105 on the 10. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. For Carlos Hernandez throughout his career, he's got a north of 7 ERA whenever he starts. Now, it is a small sample size. He has only made five career starts, but he has been significantly better coming out of the bullpen than he has been as a starter and in general. The Kansas City Royals have just not been doing a good job with their pitching. You take a look at the bullpen. Scott Barlow, Jake Prince have been able to do a nice job, but Josh Samount is someone that has had his trials and tribulations recently. Richard Lovelady is someone that I have zero faith in whatsoever. Irvin Santana is your long guy, and I have no faith in him whatsoever. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Chicago White Sox, and Carlos Rodon has been absolutely incredible for this team. 224 ERA. His strike Strikeouts per nine numbers are right around 13.3. It has been absolutely magnificent to see, and he's been able to do a better job on the road than he has been at home. 5-1 record with a buck 90 ERA and nine road starts. In 52 innings, he's given up six home runs and opponents are a buck 89 off of him. That has been absolutely remarkable. Now, you do take a look at the Kansas City Royals, and you do have some guys that are able to hit and are able to get on base for you, mainly Salvador Perez, 23 home runs, 275 at batting average, I will say, for Orde Soler. He's got six home runs in the team's last seven games, so he has been able to pick it up. Still below the Mendoza line, but we have been waiting for him to be able to bust out, and he has been able to. You take a look at Perez, you're able to throw in there Andrew Bennett. Whit Merrifield, Nicky Lopez, all these guys are in between a 269 and a 280. So, got quite a few guys able to get on base. Carlos Santana, 17 home runs, right around a 350 on base as well. Ryan O'Hearn, Hunter Dozier, these guys need to pick it up a little bit. But then, you take a look at the White Sox, they've been able to do a good job of mixing and matching all year long, and they're finally getting back some of their pieces as Eloy Jimenez wound up going deep for the first time this year on Tuesday. So, that is good to see. You've got Tim Anderson, who's been able to hit right around a 300 for this team. And then, you've got a lot of guys hitting between, I would say, about a 245 and a 262 for this team. Adam Engel, Lurie Garcia, you've got Mr. Eloy Jimenez, obviously a very, very small sample size there. And you're able to throw in there Jose Abreu as well, Andrew Vaughn as well. Vaughn has been able to give the team 11 home runs, hitting right around 260, and going into yesterday's game, Abreu, 75 RBI. He's just been, has been able to do a great job with that regard. And then you take a look at the White Sox. Ryan Burr has been able to give you some good innings out of the bullpen. He's sub-2 ERA. Garrett Crochet has been a little bit all over the place. He seems to be reining it in a little bit, but he had a sub-1 ERA going into June. He wound up having just an abysmal June, in which he wound up having a 6.10 ERA here in July, more like a 3.20 ERA, so he's starting to find more of his watermark. Michael Kopech has been able to do a good job as well, but I do take a look at this spot, and I just think that Carlos Hernandez is going to get absolutely destroyed. I do not like what I'm seeing out of him whatsoever. This is a man that he has certainly been giving up the deep ball and the walks. How about the walks? 21 and 28 and a third innings ago with a 6.04 ERA, so this is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at a Chicago White Sox run line. Currently, I am seeing that right around a minus 110 to a minus 115. I am very comfortable with that. I was willing to lay a little bit north of a minus 120 on the run line with the White Sox. Also wind up setting the solo 8.7 because I think that Rodon is going to be on his game. So taking the under along the White Sox run line. 967, 968 on the betting board. We've got the Baltimore Orioles and they are going to be in the road to face off against the Detroit Tigres. Casey Mize is going to be going for the Tigres. Meanwhile, you've got 
Alexander Wells going for the Baltimore Orioles. So on this game, 9.5 over and under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're taking a look at the Tigers, you're getting them anywhere between minus 152 and minus 155. Plus price on the Orioles, anywhere between plus 135 and plus 142. And for Mr. Wells, he wound up having a very good start his last time out. He winds going up against the Tampa Bay Rays. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up three runs. He did give up two home runs, but... I mean, going up against the Rays and giving up three runs on the road, there is absolutely no shame in that whatsoever. He was a guy that, at the minor league level, was a little bit shaky, but by and large, was able to do an okay job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. I do have questions with command. He has given up so far this year six walks in ten and a third innings. That was a little bit of a knock on him at the AAA level, but I take a look at Gacy Mize, and he has been able to do an absolutely magnificent job here with the Tigers, but I will say this. It seems like he is on an innings limit. He has went fewer than five innings in each out of his last four starts, so that is a little bit of an issue, but you take a look at him in, I believe, his last 12 starts. Ten of them have wound up going under, so you want to take note of that, and Casey Mize, ever since really a rough start to begin the year, he has been able to rein it in. In the month of June, wound up having right around a 3-8 ERA. July has not necessarily been as kind to him, but this was after he wound up having, like, north of a 5 ERA in the month of April. He was just really struggling with that regard and has been able to do a much better job of that, and he's given up two walks so far this month in July across 15 and two-thirds innings, so the command is certainly there. You take a look at the Detroit Tigers. I don't think that they're going to put up 17 runs like they did yesterday against the Minnesota Twins. That was absolutely crazy, but what you do notice with the Tigers is that all of a sudden, guys are getting on base for the team. As you've got Akil Badu, Robbie Grossman, Jameer Candelaria, all guys with between a 345 and a 360 on base. It has been tremendous to see Jonathan Scope. One of getting the day off yesterday, really emerging as well. Right around 60 RBI, 18 home runs. Zach Short has not been able to give the team a luck lot along with... Willie Castro, Grayson Griner, someone that you're able to throw on that fold as well. But Eric Haas has been able to give you 17 home runs. You've had Robbie Grossman go deep 15 times. Then you take a look at the flip side for the Baltimore Orioles. you got a trio of guys in the middle of the lineup that have been able to do a very good job of being able to belt out some home runs for you. Cedric Mullins, Trey Boomer, Mancini, Ryan Mountcastle, all with 15-plus home runs for this team. Austin, the CAA's kid, and Mountcastle in between a 245 and a 250. Ramon Odias has been able to give the team a 275 batting average with them from there. Domingo Leyba, Mikel Franco, Austin Wynn. DJ Stewart, Stevie Wilkerson, who has not been seen since the dawn of time. All these guys hitting a 225 or lower. It has certainly been putting a little bit of a damper there. And for the Baltimore Orioles, they wind up having to go to the bullpen early because Ode Lopez winds up getting completely lit up. You've been able to get quite a bit of something out of a few of your relievers. Cole Silzer, Tanner Scott have been very good for the team. Dylan Tate recently has been able to give you a little bit of something. I do like Paul Fry as well. We haven't seen him too much recently, but he has been able to give this team some solid innings. But I take a look at this spot. I recognize that the Tigers, after winding up going on a nice home winning streak, they wound up losing quite a few games on the road, but still, they enter in this game having won each out of their last seven in Detroit. I think that they make it each out of their last eight. I wound up setting the Tigers as right around a minus 170-ish favorite. If you're looking at the run line, finding that anywhere between a plus 120 and a plus 125, and I'm willing to take it. I'm going to take the Tigers on the run line. Said this all at 9.1, so I'm going to be diving under along with the Detroit Tigers on the run line. 969, 970 on the bang board. The Blue Jays hit the road to face off against the Boston Red Sox. Eduardo Rodriguez is going to be going for the Sox. Hunjin Ryu is going to be going for the Jays. Total on this game is sent over and under anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. If you're looking at the Red Sox, find them anywhere between minus 108 and minus 115. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Jays, anywhere between minus 105 and even money is your price.
And with Hunjin Ryu, he has been able to do a good job of being able to limit the walks all season long. And he's backed up by a lineup that is one of the best in baseball at being able to go deep. The Blue Jays are in the top three when it comes to total home runs and home runs on the road so far this season. You just take a look at the way that this team is stacked, and it's absolutely amazing. George Springer is starting to find it for this team. Vlager Jr. has been able to give you north of 30 home runs so far this year. He, Bo Bichette, Marcus Simeon, all guys with at least 60 RBIs so far this season. With Bichette along with Marcus Simeon, both of these guys have been able to go deep 18-plus times with Simeon being able to give you 24 home runs going into Game 2 of their double dip day. Oscar Hernandez has been able to find it as well. He's got 15 home runs as well. And then you've even been able to get guys at the bottom of the lineup like Randall Grichik, like Lord Goriel to be able to bat about a 260 with Grichik. He's giving you 19 home runs as well. And then you take a look at the Boston Red Sox. Kike Hernandez has been a Blue Jays killer to this point. He wound up having three home runs in the previous series against this bunch. So that is something that I do take a look at. He's had great success against them. You've got J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, pair of guys hitting a 295 plus for this team. Pair of guys that have gone deep 15 plus times so far this season. You've had Hunter Renfro being able to hit right around a 260. Alex Verdugo is hitting a 280 for you. Rafael Devers has been incredible hitting about a 285. Went into game two of the double dip yesterday with a league leading 81 RBI as well. So he has been able to do it all season long. Then you take a look at the Red Sox. Bullpen has been very good for this team. Garrett Woodlock has been able to give you some tremendous innings. You've got a lot of guys that have been, I would say, pitching above their skis a little bit. I do think that guys like Darwins and Hernandez are going to regress a little bit. Matt Barnes has had some interesting saves to say the least, especially the one in the All-Star game, but overall has been able to get the job done. I do like the fact that you've got Phillips Zeldes in the fold as well, and for the Blue Jays, this is a team that they've been dealing with. Some bullpen wolves as well, but they've been able to do a good job of adding some pieces as well. Taylor Saucedo has been able to do a great job for the team. They got back Rafael Dolis after he was missing for a bit of the season. Adam Simber and Trevor Richards are guys that they picked up in trade as well, but I do take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of Mr. Ryu, and I think that it's going to be pretty solid. He is giving up right around 1.2 home runs per nine innings, but when you take a look at what Ryu has been able to do recently in the month of July, he has right around a 354 ERA, but has given up zero home runs in his last three starts, so he's been able to do a great job of being able to lock in there, and he's going up against a guy in Eduardo Rodriguez that probably doesn't deserve it. 7-5 record of 523 ERA, but I will say, he has been in much better recent form. He has given up a combined seven runs in his last five starts, two runs or fewer in four out of his last five. The walks have been way down. He wound up leading the league in walks when he was pitching in 2019 wound up taking off 2020 due to the COVID-19 outbreak but has only given up right around 2.2 walks per 9 innings his strikeouts per 9 is really good giving up right around 10.6 strikeouts per 9 innings so he's been able to do a great job there but he just gives up a lot of contact in general opponents are at 277 off of him now I will say 13 out of his 19 starts have come on the road but opponents are only hitting a 244 off of him when he's been at Fenway with that set 5 home runs in 30 and 2 thirds innings I do think that Ryu is going to be able to give you the better start in this spot so I want to say the Blue Jays as a favorite in this spot. I want to make them more around a minus 125 favorite. So I'm going to be riding with the Jays. When it comes to this total, it certainly is a ballpark in Fenway that has been giving up quite a few runs. But I do think that Eduardo Escobar is starting to find it a little bit more. I think that Ryu is going to give you a relatively solid start as well. So I want him saying this all at 9.8. So we're going to be diving under along with the Jays. And we're going to wrap things up with 971, 972 on the bang board. You've got the LA Angels. And they are going to be playing us to the Oakland A's. As Frankie Montas going to be going for the A's. Right now, ESPN is showing Alex Cobb going for the Angels. Currently, this is off the betting board. Only DraftKings wound up posting up an initial line on this. You are finding the Angels at minus 115, minus 105 on the A's. 8.5 is the total. Under. 
under of minus 115 juice over at a minus 105. Wound up setting uh, my line between Cobb versus Montas, a minus 129 favorite with the Angels, and a 9.3 total. So at 8.5, I'd be taking a look at the over. Really at anything below a 9.5, I'd be taking a look at the over. And then once you reach 9.5 or higher, I'd be taking a look at the under. But you take a look at Alex Cobb and his fielding independent just does not match up with his ERA. His FIP is right around a point lower than his ERA. He's just been really unlucky on balls that have been in play because he has not given up a lot of hard contact whatsoever. Three home runs given up in 77 and two-thirds innings. Now the walks of right around 3.2 per nine innings. Nothing great, nothing terrible, but you take a look at what he's been able to do at home. Opponents are in just a buck 92 off of him. He's got his best strikeout per nine numbers, really, of his career. He's getting right around 10.3-ish strikeouts per nine innings, so he's been able to do a great job there at home. He's getting right around 9.3-ish strikeouts per nine innings as well, and he's given up two home runs at home in 43 innings, so that has been great. Meanwhile, you take a look at Frankie Montas. This is a man that's given up more like 1.35 home runs per nine innings. Home and road splits are not necessarily too demonstrative. 427 road ERA, 439 home ERA. He has given up eight home runs both at home and on the road so that's relatively equal as well. He has been able to do a good job of being able to locate as well. You take a look at him on the road, 12 walks in 46 and a third innings, so that's right around 2.4 walks per nine innings, but you take a look at this Angels lineup, and it certainly is beastly. You've got the leader in home runs in Mr. Shoei Otani, entered into yesterday with 36 of them. He is going to be your American League MVP, unless if he winds up getting injured, he has been absolutely dominant. Jose Iglesias has been away very well for the team. He's hitting right around 280. Now, Jared Walsh has been out of the fold the last couple days. He is a guy that has been able to give the team 20 plus home runs, but you do wind up getting back Justin Upton as well. A guy with right around a 335-ish on base. 14 home runs. He was really out in the month of June before he wound up hitting the injured list. David Fletcher, since the beginning of the month of June, he's hitting north of a 340 for the team. Max Dossie has been able to hit right around a 300 as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Oakland A's. This is a team that they do have quite a few guys that have been able to lay the lumber for you, obviously. Your big home run hitter is Matt Olson. 27 bombs, 285 batting average. He has been absolutely terrific, but then from there you wind up having six different guys with between 11 and 14 home runs. Ramon Laureano, Sean Murphy, Matt Chapman, Seth Brown, Jed Lowry, along with Mark Canna. And with Mark Canna, he can give you a 385 on base as a leadoff man for you. Tony Kemp has been in and out of the fold whenever he's been in it. He's been able to give you right around a 380 on base. I do like him. Mitch Moreland has been a little bit banged up as well. His home run numbers have been relatively down. I do think that we're going to see a little bit of a surge there. And when you take a look at the A's, they have overall a better ERA on the road than they do at home. They're second in overall ERA whenever they are away from Oakland. They wind up adding Andrew Chafin. That is going to be able fortify that bullpen. Sergio Romo ever since really the first month and a half of the season has a sub-3 ERA. He's been able to find it. Lou Trevino has been tremendous for this team. Then you take a look at the Oakland A's. Rossio Iglesias has been able to find it with this bunch as well. That is very good to see, but now you're using Jose Quitana along Dylan Bundy out of the bullpen. That is not necessarily too terrific. Hopefully Jaime Barilla being able to give this team a good start is going to be able to give them a tad bit more when it comes to the bullpen because someone like a junior Garris not been able to get it done. Steve Ciszek has been able to give you some good innings, but certainly an interesting situation. I do think that Alex Cobb is due in for some very positive results. So as a result, I did wind up making the Angels the minus 129 favorite. And at a 9 or lower, I'd be taking a look at the over. 9.5 for I are going to be taking a look at the under. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Thursday. A big thanks to Alex Crow of 620 WTMJ for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you're able to subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, got one or two ways to 
see how far those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, HRS41. Keep in mind, Lauder's EM, they mean does not matter, so as per usual, send these into the timeline. Otherwise, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you into there. Always appreciate you guys sitting in. I'll be coming at you every single day throughout the baseball season, which means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs>